0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every weekday at the same time. I trust if you're enjoying this, you're sharing uh, with your friends and uh, telling them about us. It takes a little while to catch on, so when uh, friends tell their friends about it, uh, it really helps us to be able to get the message out on a larger scale. I want to say uh, that we, first of all, are teaching from the book of Hebrews. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, one of the most, I think, important pieces of work I've done for a long time. But if you've missed any of them, we're going to start today in chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews. And, uh, but if you've missed any of these, I want you to uh, uh, understand that you can go back and listen to prior uh, programs. Uh, if you go back to uh, our, our YouTube page, there is a direct link from our YouTube, uh, or I'm sorry, from my website, and my website is right here and it's also on the screen. If you go to my website, there is a direct link there. If you see the YouTube icon, just click on it, and it will take you to our channel on YouTube, and you can watch all of the archived programs that we have aired to date are there, and this entire series on the book of Hebrews is there also. We also have a iTunes podcast that, again, the easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website, and there's a link to the iTunes podcast where you can get the audio portions of this, and stream it through your smartphone and through your car or however you would like to do it. You can download it however you'd like to do it. If you have an Android device, there's also a link there from our website to the Android device. So, all of that is so uh, easy for you to get and watch at your leisure. And I believe you'll be blessed by going back and watching uh, those videos and listening to those uh, uh, audio recordings. I believe it's very important what I'm sharing on the book of Hebrews. Let me also say very quickly uh, that we have some books that we have written that I think you'd be blessed if you would uh, go to our website once again and get them. And the first one is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is a book that will take the fear out of the book of Revelation for you. And uh, it really is a book about, instead of bugs as big as Volkswagens and Godzilla monsters coming up out of the ocean. It's a book about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book itself is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Even the word apocalypse is a word that we've let Hollywood define for us, and we think it means bombs bursting in air, but it literally means the unveiling or the uncovering of Jesus. I preach Jesus from the book of Revelation. You'll be blessed to get that book. The second book is titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and what I did with this book was I dealt with all of the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day, and show how they are prophetic pictures of what flows from this incredible posture of rest. You'll be blessed by getting that book. This latest book that I've written, and this one came off the press just a few months back, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. If I was going to get only one book, I would get this one, because this one will help you make the shift from law to grace and seeing the new covenant. And what I do in this book is one of the most vital pieces of information, I believe, of our time, because it marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. And what it simply is showing you is that the government of the Old Covenant was rules written on rocks, and the New Covenant is a government of living spirit written on the fleshly tables of the heart. The Old Covenant was a government of condemnation, while the New Covenant is the government of affirmation. One will condemn you and one will affirm you. You'll be blessed to get that. If you have your Bible, your device, and you are studying along with us, we're going to begin uh, from the book of Hebrews, and uh, I'm going to read a few verses, and we're going to come back and uh, make some comments. It says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum." In other words, this is what it all adds up to. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. He's talking about the heavenly tabernacle. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were here on earth, he would not, he would not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow Of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. But now he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much more he is, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, and he's talking about God here, finding fault with that first covenant, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God, they'll be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. Will I remember no more? And that he saith a new covenant, He hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old, is ready to vanish away. That's a powerful piece of Scripture. Uh, One of the things that I really want to get into is, now see, what he's saying here is, now we've been teaching the book of Hebrews for the last, I, I don't know how many weeks. We just did five segments alone just on Hebrews 7, where we're talking about the priestly ministry of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, first of all, was the priest of the Most High God. Now what he's doing here is he's bringing everything he said from Hebrews 1 up to, we get to Hebrews chapter 8, and he's beginning to bring a summary. He's beginning to bring a summarization to it because he's saying of the things which we have spoken, this is what it all adds up to. Uh, We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, who is a minister of the true sanctuary that the Lord pitched and not man. Well, I'm just going to go down through a few things by way of review, because what this is dealing with again is he's telling you, uh, here's the sum. In other words, we've come through a whole lot of stuff from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews, literal historic Hebrews, who were just a few years before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, when uh, the, the, the whole system of Judaism was dismantled and uh, the New Covenant was being established. And they, these, these Hebrews are 30 some years into the New Covenant. Jesus has been crucified some 30 some years prior to this. And they are in this probably one of the greatest paradigm shifts of human history because everything you had known about as a child was now about to shift and change. Everything that you had connected to by your traditions of worship was about to shift. Even your priesthood was changing. You no longer had to bring a bull or a goat or a sacrifice. You were no longer uh, obligated to uh, 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 divers washings and circumcisions and uh, uh, dietary things. Everything about this covenant was changing. You know when I think about how difficult it is for people to make changes, in their religious belief system, I cannot imagine the difficulty it would have been to be in this day when what you did yesterday, you don't have to do it anymore. And so as, as, as the time was progressing, there was like a, almost a, and I've already shared some of this uh, before, but there was like a 40 year transition period from the time that the sacrifice of Calvary was made. There was, as it were, a 40 year almost like another wilderness journey that they were coming out from underneath of the bondage of an old covenant and coming into the revelation of the new. One was, as the book of Hebrews says a little bit later on, it was fading away. So there was still pieces of the law. You know, what's interesting to me is when you study the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is not Old Covenant. There were some things that were Abrahamic covenants, some things that were Noah's covenant. There were hints and constant pictures of the New Covenant. So it, in like manner, when you get into the New Testament, everything in the New Testament is not New Covenant. For instance, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and some of the things that Jesus taught in there even in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were dealing with uh, teaching the law of Moses. And so once the sacrifice of Calvary was complete, and a new priest had arisen, a new covenant was now in force and it was the old one was beginning to fade away. And it took a period of time. And I think one of the reasons why God allowed the Romans to so dismantle the the tabernacle and the system of Judaism is because people would have gone back constantly to those old uh, traditions and rituals to go back to it. So as he comes into this eighth chapter, He's beginning to summarize. He's saying, now listen, this is what some of this adds up to. And the first thing he wants you to see is that we have a high priest who's sat on the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. And he begins to talk about this priest. Now the last thing, uh, when we were talking about chapter 7, I'm just going to make a few comparisons here from my notes. And uh, the first thing I want to tell you is that Melchizedek, or this Melchizedek priesthood, which we talked about last week and for several weeks prior to that, uh, this Melchizedek did not spring from the tribe of Levi. He sprang from the tribe of Judah. Our Lord came out of Judah, for instance, but this was a priesthood that was totally different than Levi. One of the things that we shared with you, especially when we were dealing with the issue of giving and tithing from a new covenant perspective in the last five weeks is that, that uh, Levi has a commandment to take tithe of the people and Melchizedek receives. The difference is one is force and the other flows from the heart. Uh, I'll say it another way, Uh, here's, here's one of the key points and the key tenets to understanding the new covenant and the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was full of demand, and the New Covenant is full of supply. Uh, One uh, is always demanding something of you that it cannot deliver, but the New Covenant delivers to you the supply, and then out of the supply there comes an outflow of the response to that. But the first thing that we saw was that, you know, uh, uh, the Levi, again, his priesthood was uh, focused, that priesthood focused on The the name of God, for instance, Jehovah. The Jehovah names of God, or Yahweh, were predominantly the ones that were used under this particular covenant. But then, and and, and this particular name was uniquely God's, uh, related to God's covenant with Israel. But the Levitical priesthood could not minister, Are the, I'm sorry, the Levitical priesthood could only minister for Israel. But Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God, and the name of God that he uses there is the name of God Elion, or El Elion. And what he does with this name of God is, every time you see this name, for instance, he will be from Psalm 91, "He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High." That's the name of God El Elion. When uh, when when Jesus was born, they said he will be called the Son of the Highest or the Most High God. He's the Son of Elion, So this is the father uh, aspect of it as well. And uh, he is the, pre- it, it's always related, this terminology is related to the new covenant priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's more of a universal name of God, and it represents God as the possessor of heaven and earth, and he's the most high God over both Jew and Gentile. So this name of God is much more inclusive. Hallelujah it includes more than just uh, the Jewish people, but it includes Gentiles. One of the things that the Scripture declares, especially uh, as it begins to unfold in the New Testament, is that the mystery that was hid from ages is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But he was talking even Christ in and among you Gentiles. In other words, the mystery that was hid was that God was going to be inclusive or include Gentiles in the covenants of promise. As a matter of fact, many of the scriptures that we deal with that are dealing with predestination, Paul was really the one that I think is the only one that really wrote about predestination in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Romans, and it's in the book of, uh, I believe it is Ephesians, and both times he is writing to Gentiles. And what he's talking about in predestination here is not that God would predestine one to go to heaven and one to go to hell, but if you look at the context of all that, what he was talking about is that he had predetermined and predestined before the foundation of the world to include both Jews and Gentiles into this covenant of promise. Hallelujah. I think as a matter of fact, it would have been the the, the heart of God in the Jewish nation to use them. When he called them up out of Egypt, he called them to become a whole nation of priests. A whole, uh, 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 you know, a a whole nation of priests. He wanted to make a priesthood out of all of the people. But if you remember what I taught, I believe it was in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews, uh, the people forfeited a personal relationship with God at the foot of Mount Sinai, when God came down on the mountain and the people said, we're afraid of him, Moses. You go talk to him, and whatever he says to you, we will do it. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy that God heard them murmur in their tents, and he said to Moses, all right, if the people don't want a personal relationship, then call Aaron and his sons and let them come up the mountain, and I'll make a priesthood out of them. But I believe God wanted to make a whole nation of priests, out of a whole nation of Israel where everybody had access and personal relationship to God as a nation of priests, and God could have used that nation then to, to be a priesthood to the rest of the world. Now I believe as we come into the New Covenant, we find that the New Covenant is inclusive of both Jew and Gentile, and this name of God, Most High, includes, it's a more inclusive name. It's not exclusive to the nation of Israel alone. But it includes him as the possessor of heaven and earth. And what he does is deliver to a, if you will, the nation of Christianity, if you will, the, the real Israel of God that is formed not because of natural genealogy, but because of spiritual descent, now the nation, I believe as a, uh, as a nation of people, uh, the the believers and the Christians are now a nation of priests as well, with Jesus Christ Himself being our chief priest, but we're also a royal priesthood with a ministry of mercy and reconciliation that ought to flow to the nations of the earth. So if you're a believer today, you're a part of the, you know, the, the, the priesthood of the believer that ought to be from, you know, first of all to God for the people, and then from uh, God uh, 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 delivering what God has to say to people and ministering to them as a nation of priests to bring about this ongoing new creation process in the earth where God is making all things new to deliver that through the hands of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. And I, I, you know, if I really want to get technical, i tell you that the chosen generation was not necessarily uh, this particular time slot, but it was the first generation of, uh, uh, of, uh, where Peter talks about you're a chosen generation. He was talking about the first century of these folks. They were the chosen generation, but we are an ongoing part of that royal priesthood. But they were the first generation that was chosen Uh, to be a part of this royal priesthood that would, uh, you know, uh, begin to flow from, here's the issue with Melchizedek. If he's the priest of the Most High, and when we talk about, uh, for instance, uh, he says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty, he's talking about the mercy seat. And the third dimension of the tabernacle, we might be able to get into this as we go on down through Uh, this chapter, because it's going to talk about the tabernacle being a pattern. But one of the things that I want you to see is what was behind the veil in the most holy place, where you, which is also called the secret place. In other words, the secret place of Psalm 91 is the most holy place. Now what I want you to see is, is that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, abides under the shadow of the Almighty. But if you're going to see what's behind, if I could say it like this, what's behind the veil in the most holy place, you're going to see a blood sprinkled mercy seat. So when I talk about, first of all, the ministry of Melchizedek, he was a priest forever, talking about Christ as our chief priest who is uh, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and us being a priesthood that follows in that lineage is that we dispense and minister from a mercy seat and not from a judgment seat. Oh, help us get a picture of this. There is a man in the throne right now with a ministry. And that ministry is a ministry of mercy and reconciliation. And what God's intention is, is to reconcile and redeem and to reach into the suffering of the human family and to ease their pain. Uh, Man, there's so much I want to say about that. But, uh, uh, you know, I I think so many times, you know, we get so wrapped up in, in, uh, in in heaven-hell issues. And I'm not doing away with that, but I'm simply saying we get so wrapped up in those issues of what's going to happen after death that we forget that salvation does not just mean a walk down a church aisle and then one of these days you get to go to heaven. But salvation is an ongoing deliverance Uh, not just from heaven hell, He came to save His people from their sins. In other words, sometimes the things He's saving you from is your own wrong decisions, your own bad choices, your own sin and iniquity that literally puts you in hell on this side of the grave. And He's come to be a minister that can minister from a mercy seat, who can be a faithful high priest who's touched with the feeling of your infirmities, and uh, is able to secure you and deliver you from the stuff you're going through. See, the gospel has to be relevant, not just for your ticket to heaven someday. But it has to be relevant for your earth walk right now. See, when I think about the gospel of the kingdom, uh, many times most people when they think about the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew calls it the gospel, or the, the, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I think Mark, Luke, and John use the terminology kingdom of God. But the reason that, but that term is literally synonymous. It's the same thing. Uh, And uh, what, but the reason Matthew translates it as kingdom of heaven is because they were so afraid of using the name of God in vain, Yahweh, that they uh, just translated it as the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus would teach the kingdom, He would talk about this world stuff, and living in the kingdom right now as kingdom citizens. And then see, the second thing about Melchizedek that we want to uh, take a look at is that uh, he was a royal priesthood. In other words, he was not only a priest. But he was also a king. And so, you know, uh, this Le- the Levitical priests were not to be kings. Melchizedek himself was a king. And, uh, you know, amazingly, uh, he, if you know, so, so, what that says to me is he's not only able to minister to God on behalf of your needs, but as the king, he's able to supply all of your need according to his riches. In glory uh, by Christ Jesus. If I could pull it up here very quickly, I want I'll go back here to Psalm. I believe it is Psalm 110 because you have David who was talking about looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, and he talks about it in he talks about it in the book of Psalms. And uh, let me see if I could pull it up here very quickly. Psalm 110. I believe it is verses number. 1 through 4, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, and the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast to do of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent, thou art, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Now one of the things that I want you to see is he is a royal priesthood. Powerful picture, even, you know, you could just probably take weeks and weeks and months and go back and study the Davidic priesthood. David was a king who also was a priest. And uh, man, you see David function, he's probably the closest Old Testament picture to Jesus as maybe any of them. Of course, there's always flaws in any type. But David was a king, and he was a priest. And his heart was not like other kings that was only in it for what he could get out of it. His heart was to be a blessing and minister to the needs of the people. And David not only had the ability to put on an ephod and be able to sing and worship, he went into the temple and ate from the most holy things. He went into the, uh, and, uh, you know, was able to eat the bread when he was fleeing from Saul. He was a king and a priest. What's that say to you? It tells me that he's not only touched with our needs not only touched with our suffering, but he's also seated at the right hand of God as a king with enough supply to meet every need that you have according to his riches and glory. So he's telling you again, this is what this all adds up to. This is the sum. And he goes on to say that the third thing about the Melchizedek priesthood was he was righteous and peaceful. Uh, There was no permanent... Uh, righteousness, or peace when it was related to the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood. Uh, Melchizedek's name, very name, means the king of righteousness and the king of Salem, which is the king of peace, which implies, of course, that he is the king of righteousness and peace. And then you see, of course, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. So this Melchizedek is able to dispense in our lives, all the substance that's needed uh, for our, our life and living a life in the kingdom with peace and with joy. So he is full of righteousness and peace. Melchizedek, uh, his, uh, his priesthood was personal and not hereditary. In the Levitical priesthood, your ancestry was everything. You had to be born into the tribe of Levi in order to become a priest. But Melchizedek's parents are not given, and the tribe of Levi didn't even exist at the time when Melchizedek comes on the scene. It was because of who he was and not because of who his parents were that allowed him to be a priest. Now the fifth thing that I want to say about Melchizedek is that his priesthood was eternal and not temporal. If you were a Levitical priest, your priesthood could serve from the time you were 25 years old until the age of 50. And no priest, no matter how faithful, could serve more than 25 years. It was through the priest that the people have access to God, and the Old Testament writer of Hebrews declares that we have something better than that kind of a priesthood. So uh, what he goes on to say is that uh, that the priesthood of Levi, for instance, uh, it was a, a temporary one. Uh, it would d- determine, you know, uh, who was stepping down and who was stepping up. But this man, Christ, has a perpetual, eternal priesthood, that does not fade away, and that is able to save to the uttermost them that come to Him. The key thing though that I really wanted to put out in this segment is the fact that He is a king and a priest. His ministry is universal and not just national. Uh, He is the king of righteousness, peace, and joy. That His priesthood is not because of His hereditary, but because The Lord Himself said, you're my son, this day have I begotten thee, and thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And even David himself looked forward to that priesthood, and that his priesthood is eternal, and it's not temporary or temporal. We're about to run out of time. Uh, I'm so thankful that you've taken the time out of your busy schedule to join us and to uh, perhaps really glean some things from the Word of God with us. If you appreciate and are enjoying what we are saying and you're enjoying it, uh, please take a moment to call this number on the screen. Your partnership is vital uh, to helping us take the gospel around the world. So call the number on the screen, and if you can, sow a generous seed into the ministry to help us take the gospel around the world. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.